Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello, and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review, with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 205, recorded May 30th, 2015. So today we got one story to cover. One. One Mongo story. So it is a graphic novel released by Wildstorm entitled Star Trek The Next Generation The Gorn Crisis. Yeah. So I had asked Donovan you when you had mentioned that we're going to be doing The Gorn Crisis again. And the first time that at least I was familiar with a Gorn story set in the next gen time period. And the first thing I was wondering is, well, do they look like Kirk's Gorns? And you said with confidence, I'm pretty sure they do. And they do. But they don't look quite so, yeah, a little, a little stiff and ridiculous <laughs> in the comic book, right? I mean, they're actually pretty nasty. Yeah, no, they look like uh, crocodiles, dinosaurs. Uh, crocodiles, dinosaurs, something with incredibly complex eyes, like bug eyes or something. But they are lizards, aren't they? Mm-hmm. They're cold-blooded in the end, aren't they? Right. Which that- actually becomes important in the story. Does it? Eventually. We'll have to find out. Or does I, it? I don't remember that. Okay, okay. Anyway, it's pretty cool. So it's a lot of lot of action, a lot of conflict. I like it. Yeah, it's good. You know, and in the story, which I'm sure we'll get into, but uh, they do say that the Gorn have been kind of out of the picture for the last hundred years, which means definitely all the times the Gorn shown up in the other DC comic Star Trek runs... Uh, would be non-canon according to this this story. Right. Which makes me a little sad because some of those were actually pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah, not only good, but it seems like, wow. You know, Kirk gives you a bloody nose one time and you're really not going to come out again for 100 years? Really? <laughs> anyway. Right. But uh, anyways, this is a good story. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, talking about it. So... We're going to do it a little different. Instead of doing the whole thing all in one shot, we're just going to do the first half, talk about it, and then do the second half, and then wrap it up. Right. Kind of like if this was actually split up into multiple issues, which it isn't. One big Mongo uh, graphic novel. Right. So for those following along at home, uh, just uh, don't be confused when we stop and we just start talking about it. Right, because we do kind of start stop in the middle of something important that's going on. Right, but it's, it's kind of a, it's it's kind a, a cliffhanger, cliffhanger, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's, it's like we did it on purpose. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you want to go ahead and get us started off, Ken? I will do that. So this is Wildstorm's Star Trek: The Next Generation, The Gorn Crisis, published date January two thousand one. Creative team: writer Kevin J. Anderson and Rebecca Moesta. Painted by Igor Cordy. Letterer, Richard Starkings. And comic crafts, Albert DeChesney. Designed by Alex Sinclair. Editor, Jeff Marriott. 
and I will be taking care of the first half of the book, pages 3 through 25, in the PDF. The cover shows Picard, Dr. Crusher, and Counselor Troy surrounded by Gorn, who have some kind of metal staff weapons raised all around them. Eggs. Nine of them sitting together in what appears to be a warming device that has some wisps of steam coming off of it. They are all rusty tan in color with black writing on them. If this was Earth around April, but it isn't. It's Gorn. And these are the future rulers of the Gorn Empire. Safe and pampered. Split! A cruel clawed foot comes down upon them. So much for that next generation. Breakfast, anyone? More eggs are being ruined through spears. The caretakers of the eggs are likewise being killed cruelly. Heads are being separated from bodies. Members of the royal Gorn family are also being killed. The killers say weakness must be purged from the Gorn leadership. The Gorn Empire must reclaim their rightful place. The place cannot be fully theirs without conquering the Federation. They're oppressors for almost a century. Almost a century of peace, more like a century of enslavement. That will be remedies soon enough, and then the Gorn Empire will push beyond the ancient boundaries. The murderers emerge into the light of the new day after killing women, the unarmed, the unborn. The leader, Lord Slash, I didn't do that very well, orders to launch the Gorn Warfleet. Meanwhile, above the Gorn homeworld, the graceful flagship of the Federation, the Enterprise E, orbits with her troubled captain, Jean-Luc Picard. Picard is in his quarters, contemplating his difficult mission, to broker opening up relationships with the Gorn in hopes of enlisting their aid against the Dominion in the Dominion War. Since their flare-up of hostilities between the Gorns and the Federation almost 100 years ago, there was little contact with the Gorns. After Captain Kirk of the original USS Enterprise defeated a Gorn captain in mano-e-mano combat, the Gorn halted their expansion. Picard puts his jacket on and heads out to the bridge, but thinks of Riker and his mission to enhance the defenses on the El Karan II outpost. Riker is leading a team from the Corps of Starfleet Engineers and working with a Klingon contingent to get the job done. Picard steps onto the bridge and is told there is no word from the Gorn Council. Data reports that sensors and radio broadcasts indicate civil unrest, explosions, wildfires approaching urban areas. They finally receive a communication from the Gorn Council Chambers, but it's a plea for help from a dying council member. Picard leads an away team with security and medical personnel. Dr. Crusher and Troy are part of the team who see the aftermath of a bloodbath in the council chambers. Meanwhile, Riker is making frenemies with some of the Klingon rank and file, who have little respect for their disgraced captain, but who do have respect for how accurately Riker can throw dice. That night, by a fire, drinking coffee and blood wine, Riker finds out how the Klingon commander Krill was disgraced. He followed a hunch during a Dominion battle that was bad from an honor standpoint, but it did save his ship and crew. 
Riker comes to blows with one of the Klingon plebes that insults Riker and Quill. Their backs are turned, but they are plenty loud. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Commander Data is at the con speaking to Picard on the planet. Picard and his team are helping a few survivors, but it's obvious a revolution has taken place. Picard tells Data to take the ship to Yellow Alert. They will continue to work the situation from the planet's surface while Data stands by and ensures the ship and crew's safety. Before Picard signs off, sensors detect the launching of many ships from the planet's surface. Picard leaves the ship and crew to Data, but tells him that they are his top priority, not the away team. Picard out. Many smaller ships that are all shapes and sizes approach the Enterprise. Most of them warp out, but one remains. Riker and three Klingons have a shirtless, spirited Batleth sparring match. Riker defeats his opponent, but when Commander Krill is on the ground defeated, Krill springs up and almost kills his opponent. Riker stops him and says to save it for another time. A Starfleet engineer runs to the sparring pit and tells Riker that scans have picked up a large fleet of ships from the Gorn homeworld. Meanwhile, in the Gorn Council chamber, Picard and the ladies are attempting to help the few surviving Gorns while trying to figure out what they can about the rebellion. They are able to bring to consciousness a Gorn named Rox. Rox. He tells them the Black Crests did this. They are part of the warrior caste that hopes to destroy the political caste and set up a military government. Rox dies, but gives a message to another survivor, saying the secret cache is safe. Meanwhile, above Gorn, a single Gorn ship engages the Enterprise. Data attempts to contact them, but the only response is weapons fire. Data theorizes its mission is to gauge the capabilities of Federation ships. After taking mounting damage to the shields and detecting the Gorns are preparing to fire again, Data orders phasers targeted at their engines, followed by a volley of photon torpedoes. The Gorn ship blows to bits. Data definitely succeeded in protecting the Enterprise and her crew. From the Black Crest Command Center on Gorn, Lord Slish directs the Gorn fleet. He bemoans the fact that all his tactical knowledge of the Federation is 100 years old, but he presses on with two attacks. The first is on the Federation colony Cestus III, and the second on the garrison on El Caron II. Sleesh tells his captains to wipe out all Federation presence in Gorn territory. Show no weakness. If Gorn is to expand its territory and hold it, we must cause enough destruction so no one will dare stand against us. An underling reports humans are present in the council chambers. Sleesh tells him that is what he expected. No doubt Picard. Cut to the colony on Cestus III, where a relentless Gorn attack is underway. Many yellow fighters have inflicted damage, and have the colony buildings ablaze. Larger troop carriers deposit the Gorn ground troops. They secure the colony in less than a day. The colonists they don't kill, they take as prisoners. But they have too many prisoners. End of the first half. So what do you think of the Gorn stormtroopers? I think they look pretty cool. (laughs) 
Yeah. yeah, so so they have pretty colorful outfits. I mean, you thought they, you'd think they might be kind of like like looking like a normal Gorns that we've seen so far, you know, shorts on that kind of stuff. But no, they've got <laughs> actual, you know, they've they've got actually soldier outfits on, and they're pretty colorful. Right, with a kind of a trench coaty look, with the uh, with like a you know that black skirt type thing. Right, kind of like Darth Vader. Ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. It is kind of like a Darth Vader thing. And it, the goggles look like halves of fish bowls because their eyes are so big. Right. Yeah. It kind of reminded me a little bit of, I don't know, maybe a little bit of the TIE fighter pilots in Star Wars. Oh, right, right. Definitely the color. Right. But now the, these, these guys, they look like they're, they're quite formidable. Yeah. I mean, they're they're riding like speeder bike looking attack yes. vehicles and yes. running around with these giant blasters just shooting these these poor people. Right. Yeah. And, and they've cool. got a lot of detail. I mean, their outfits, their and their their battle equipment. There's a lot of variety in the ships. Right. Where, where you see a, a common design thread in Federation ships, Starfleet ships, these things are all quite different. Probably because they buy them from different races, kind of like <laughs> the way the Romulans had to buy their stuff from the Klingons. Good point. Good point. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, definitely it's a, it's a hodgepodge of vehicles. Right. And, and new designs. I mean, I, I don't remember ever seeing these before. So I think the artist just like, go nuts. See what you come up with. <laughs> right. And he came up with quite a bit of interesting stuff. Right, definitely. Yeah, I wasn't the the biggest fan of the, of the like the bright yellow fighters. Fighters to make them really easy to see, right? <laughs> you know, for for ground batteries that need to hit them. Yeah, but even the design, it looked it looked maybe too much like a like a contemporary fighter jet type thing for me. Yeah, it, it does look a little bit like a really big what uh, a Tomcat F F F fourteen. Anyway. Whatever. Sure, I'll take your word for it. Well, yeah. It, so he's got the two two uh, two rear fins, you know, r- right. rudder fin things. It's got uh, it's got three engines, but the the Tomcats have two engines, so that's different. But you know, it's kind of a little thicker in the middle, and it's got you know, anyway, a little yeah. a little bit. Right. Like I said, it, it doesn't look exactly like like a contemporary ship, but it right. It looked enough like it that I was like, man, I could have done. I could have. I mean, I wanted to see something a little more exotic with these reptilian people, but I don't know. I don't know how you could have done it any better. So, yeah, it looks good. It does look good. But uh, so, what do you think of the Gorn themselves? These these guys don't look like they're wearing big rubber heavy suits. rubber suits. <laughs> yeah, definitely a step up from the '60s uh, episode. They look good. I mean, I you know I think the art style. Might as well talk about the art style. It's a painted. I mean, even the credits, it says, uh, Igor, whatever his name is, painted it. And uh, again, not not always my favorite style, but he did a really good job. I mean, I really enjoy the artwork in this comic. Yeah, it's quite good. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely like what he did with the Gorn, where they look like the traditional Gorn, without, mm-hmm. but they still look... Um, menacing. Menacing, and... They look like they move around like a, a real lizard would, right? As opposed to being real stiff. Where I don't think 
when they brought back the Gorn in Enterprise, I mean, yeah, he that Gorn looked cool, but aside from kind of looking like the Gorn in the face, he didn't, you know, didn't really resemble the the classic Gorn all that terribly much. Right, a very different style, very different rendition, and also he seemed to he seemed to move really fast, didn't he? Right. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, for he a cold... like a like a Velociraptor type thing from right, right. So you know, for a cold blooded critter, at least, well, we assume they're cold blooded, uh, but th- there are theories that say uh, some of the dinosaurs weren't cold blooded, which would allow them to move around faster. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. These these guys look good though. They they look good, threatening. Yep, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, and as for the artwork, I, I really enjoyed the artwork. The people. Sometimes don't look all that much like the uh, the actors who played mm-hmm. them. Yeah, but uh, but it never really took me out of the story or or anything. Uh, and yeah, it, I, I have no complaints as far as the artwork goes. Right. If you had to pick one Star Trek character that is probably the least faithfully rendered, most consistently, who would that be? Um, we might have a difference of opinion on this one, but okay. I think it would be Data. Ooh, good point. Hmm. Data is in this a lot. And, um, and it seems like his eyes are just not quite right. Don't look like uh, Brent Spiner. Yeah, and some of the some of the looks on his face and stuff. I mean, he looks at times. He looks a little bit like a like a puffy cheeked young kid. A uh, lot of people look really young in this. Yeah, uh, like a lot of the bridge crew. I mean, they look like they might be. They're supposed. They like they should be in Starfleet Academy. Yeah, you know, just well, the unnamed bridge crew, uh, right? But also Counselor Troy. I mean, I was going to say Counselor Troy, who is in the comic less than Data. I think. Well, well, they're both whatever. The main point is, I think that Deanna, and you could tell us Deanna, but she looks like she's a twenty-something. I mean, she looks like maybe she's twenty-three or something. She's got a smaller nose in most of the um, the renditions than uh, Marina Skirtis had. I mean, or Sirtis. I mean, not that she had a big nose, but, you know, it was there. In in this comic, it's very petite, very small, and she just looks like she's like a 22-year-old kid. Huh. That's not who I thought you were going to say. That Well, that's who I'm picking. That's who struck me more. But good point about Data. Well, who uh, else did you th- would you think I was going to say? Well, I was thinking that maybe you would say Riker, because... Uh, oh, well. He is incredibly buff in the yeah. show. Yeah, but his show. face... From a facial standpoint, I think they did a pretty good job with Riker. He usually looks like Frakes. Sure. Ex- yes. There will be some. There will be a scene we'll discuss in the second half. Well, no, it was in this half. No, it was it? in this one. No, it was in this one, yeah. There was a scene in this one where Riker looks like one of those you know, professional wrestlers on those TV matches. Really, he reminded me of uh, Sylvester Stallone and Rambo. Well, I was oh, thinking okay. that his yeah. his physique looked like that, like yeah. like, like the artist was like, eh, this guy should look like Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's definitely lean and cut and muscular, and Riker's never been that good. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not the first comic to uh, go a little overboard with the superhero physiques. Right, right. But yeah, as far as his face go, he he does look exactly like Frakes. Yeah, maybe a little younger than anybody was in Insurrection, but yeah, he looks good. Well, yeah, everybody. I mean, uh, Picard looks pretty young. 
I mean, but but he, I mean, he still looks middle aged. But you know, by the time we get to insurrection, he's you know, he's getting up there a bit in age. Starting to look a little more like Professor X than <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I especially liked how they drew him the first time we see him when he's you all know, worried. Where he's all worried and he's still got the red shirt on and he doesn't have his jacket on yet. And there's a big old window there. So I think it's in his quarters, right? Mm-hmm. I think he was in his quarters. And it just, the coloring was really nice in the room and, and the shadows were really good. I, I just thought it was really good. Right. I liked it. Yeah, and I even liked the flashback panels on that same page with uh, Kirk fighting the Gorn. Yeah. I thought those looked good. Yeah, the first panel you see Kirk in where he's being, you know, he he's being held by the Gorn and being crushed. Little bear hug, little Gorn hug. Uh, he's he's got an accurate look on his face. It's like, oh my gosh, this guy's crushing me. It's pretty good. <laughs> yes, and we even get to see his his short shirt torn. <laughs> of course. <laughs> now, as far as the whole book goes, I man, I don't want to spoil anything in the second half. I I'm really enjoying it. For being as long as it is, there's not a ton of story. I mean, there's there's the story's good. Don't get me wrong, but uh, a lot of it is filled with this really nice artwork, which mm-hmm. is not a bad thing. But it does move pretty fast. So, most, I, f- I think I spent more time just looking at the pictures than actually uh, reading any dialogue or following any story. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I did not feel it lagging. I did not feel like. You know, what's the old thing you talk about when you just go and see a movie? I never look at my watch. <laughs> um, and it wasn't that long a read. No, no. So it was quite enjoyable. Yeah, the, the, the only complaint I really have as far as story goes, um, it was in this first half, and that's Data just sitting there taking a pounding from this one ship for for what I see as being really no reason. I mean, thank goodness none of the other ships attacked him because this one ship by itself almost destroyed the Enterprise with two or three shots. Well, they weren't that close to being destroyed, I don't think. Well, the shields were completely down. What? <sighs> I mean, one shot, the shields were down like by 18, 20%, something like that. And then the next shot, I think they were saying that they were almost all the way down. Yeah. But, I mean, if all those ships that were in that fleet started attacking... Well... All- they would only have to hit him once each, and then yeah. it would have been completely destroyed. Yeah. And I think Data would have never let it gone that far if there was more than one ship. So Data even said, uh, I think this guy is here to test our, you know, to, to test the metal of a modern uh, Federation starship. So he only had one to deal with. So like a good calculating computer, he, he let him take a shot while Data tried to communicate with him. You know, come on, he's a good guy, so let us get. Let me give you a chance, you know, you know, talk to us. Just talk to us. No, static, you know, phaser fire. And so finally, I really like it because Data doesn't even wait for a status report. He is told that they're getting ready to fire again. And then you know how they normally do it? Uh, yeah, just target their engines or something, or target their weapons or something. Data says that, but he says, uh, target their engines... But after you shoot phasers, uh, throw a volley of uh, photon torpedoes at them. Right. Bazinga. Blow up. I mean, so, you know, obviously the phaser fire got through their shields, and then the the photons uh, bloomed to bits, I guess. But, I mean, Data was quite decisive. 
when 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 right. the ship was really threatened, I mean really threatened, he wasn't messing around. I get that. I just don't understand why the Gorn, who had this huge fleet and the Enterprise was pretty helpless just sitting in the middle of it, yeah. waited until they completely all left and then this one ship attacked. And that that one ship caused so much damage. So at this point, they've got quantum torpedoes, right? Right. So Data apparently was measured in his response and didn't think much of their shields because he chose to use photon torpedoes. Did he actually say that? He said photon torpedoes. So I assume, because when I read that, it's like, well, wait a minute. By this point, they had quantum, quantum torpedoes, right? So, oh, so do they really have both? And then they, they pull out the quantum torpedoes when they really want to blow somebody up? Is that how it works? They got both? Uh, I would guess they would have both. Yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe, um, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Some, some of the terminology in this book did seem a little off at times because uh, it wasn't in this half. But later they talk about um, the Enterprise being the only ship in the quadrant. Quadrant. Yeah. And I thought that was maybe a incorrect statement. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know they sent a lot of ships to hit the Dominion at that one point. Right. Out by Deep Space Nine, but uh, I don't think they sent all of them. Right. <laughs> and besides, that's still in... I mean, that's still where that battle took place was still in the Delta... I mean, the Alpha right. Quadrant. So. Right, right. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, I think they meant just... Uh, in the area. Th- that area. Yeah. But in regards to the Dominion War going on and what the Enterprise E is, is doing, there are two novels, and I forgot who wrote them. It might be Michael J. And Friedman. They're part of this Dominion War four-part mm-hmm. series that's worth a read um, if you ever get a chance. It's four parts. Two parts is Deep Space Nine and two parts is the, uh, the Enterprise E. The Deep Space Nine parts are just adaptations of the episodes that were about the Dominion War. Uh-huh. But then the Enterprise E ones are, are actually pretty good because... You know, what were they doing while all those ships that we saw in the episodes were attacking the Dominion? Right. So, if you ever get a chance to read those, look them up. Cool. Was the Enterprise just, like, hanging back and, like, doing these support things? Like, do this thing that happened during Insurrection, which was like this one little planet. I mean, come on. Or or this, where they're trying to recruit the Gorns. Important work, but it kind of like, you know... It kind of seems like they should be in the middle of the fight, but right, whatever. yeah, yeah. This Dominion War one uh, was actually, and it's been so long since I read it, I can't remember exactly what they were doing. But right, it's it's it was really good. Yeah, obviously it must be something important. Right. Yeah. Speaking of really good or particular bits of art that really struck me, got my attention. There's a great painting of the castle or the. The, the outpost that Riker's in, and they're shoring up the defenses. And then, like, right above the castle, because it's kind of like, like, shows the castle a little bit higher up, and then, and then the, the, the vantage point of the, of the look, of the person looking at the painting is a little lower than that, so it's kind of looking up in the sky. And then you see all these, you know, dozens of Gorn craft that are over it. And it's like, oh my gosh, we're going to die. And I thought that was a really good painting. I like that. But I got to say, though the painting was really cool and stuff, what happened just prior to that is one of the Starfleet engineer guys comes in and says, hey, sensor's picking up uh, you know, a big 
big fleet coming from uh, Gorn. And then, like, the next panel shows this. <laughs> Almost <laughs> the next panel. It's like, man, those sensors didn't give you much heads up, did it? <laughs> right. Uh, good point. But yeah, that is a that is a cool picture though. Yeah. Of the of the castle with the ships above. Right. But if they're already so close, have they already they've already passed the the satellite perimeter then? Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But don't they talk about that a little bit more, a little further on, or no? right, right? Yeah, that's why I'm a little confused why they're so big there in the sky. Right. So it seems like they should be pretty doggone close. I mean, they're not in orbit, right? I mean, if you can see, I mean, they actually must be in the air, right? Yeah, they're not above above the uh, fortification. Exactly. But it, it it looks cool. So give them a pass, Ken. Yeah, it's, it's like a J.J. Abrams thing. It's like. You know, that's that makes no sense, but it's so cool. Okay. <laughs> oh, like the Enterprise being underwater? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> it's like, stay in orbit. I don't care what BS thing you're saying that justifies to go under the water. Just stay in orbit. Anyway, whatever. It was pretty cool when it came out of the water and everything, but it just doesn't make sense. No, it looked good. Yeah. My last comment is the the carnage after the ruling cast was destroyed oh, by yeah. the Black Crests. Right. That one, I guess he's the leader, where the, he's still laying on the throne or whatever, and his body's draped over the chair, uh-huh. and his head is sitting on his chest. Yes. They've completely decapitated him and just that is so cool. put his, chest, put his uh, head on top of his chest. That is so cool. When I first saw that, it was like, Oh my god, that's really that's really nasty. <laughs> it is really nasty. Oh. So yeah, that was my last comment. What else you got? That's it. That's all. That's I it. Had. That's all I had for the first half. All right. Well, let's see how this all wraps up. Okay. All right. So uh, the story picks back up with uh, Data contacting Admiral Connolly and informs him of the crisis here on Gorn. Connolly tells the android that the rest of the Federation is too busy with the Dominion War, and that the Enterprise is on its own. On the Gorn homeworld, the Black Crest barge into the chambers where Picard and the away team still are, and uh, they kill the last remaining Gorn that was alive. Commander Slash tells Picard that there will not be a Federation alliance, and that he should surrender the Enterprise. Meanwhile, on the outpost world of Elkaron, the Gorn troops are rampaging through the streets. Riker orders the shield up over the capital. The Klingons feel that they should rush into glorious death. Riker is eventually able to convince the death-hungry Klingons into beaming everyone into the single Klingon ship in orbit. This is after a very prolonged fight between the Gorn, Klingons, and humans. On the Enterprise-E, Data is able to contact the Gorn rebel leader, Slish. The Gorn states that humans are weak. Data informs the reptile that he is mistaken. Back on the Klingon battleship, all surviving humans and Klingons have beamed safely aboard. They seem to know that the Gorn will want to take the ship intact, and they prepare for boarders. They do not have to wait long before Gorn vessels start to attach themselves and Gorn troopers cut their way in. A bloody battle begins. The Klingon commander sacrifices himself by ejecting an escape pod and smashing into another Gorn boarding craft. On the Gorn homeworld, Data beams over and he challenges the rebel leader to a duel. 
If the Gorn wins, then Data will surrender the Enterprise. If Data wins, then Slesh will call off the attack. Tax to the Gorn's ego proved to be his undoing, and he accepts the challenge. Back on the Klingon ship, Riker has an idea of cooling the ship. If he can do it, then the Gorn should slow down due to them being cold-blooded. He makes his way to the bridge, and he talks one Klingon out of setting up the self-destruct, and instead, cranking down the AC. Once things start cooling off, the Gorn do indeed get much slower, so that the Klingons are able to make short work of them. They do leave the fleet commander alive. Back on the planet, Data is able to defeat the Gorn leader. The Black Crest faction is in disgrace, and the remaining rebels are about to kill Slesh for his misleading them. Picard stops them and pleads that the Gorn need to be united and also unite with the rest of the galaxy at large. This seems to get everyone's attention. Later, all the fleet ships have returned to Gorn, and the first of the hidden eggs of the leading class has hatched. This is a new day for the Gorn people. United with the Federation and Klingon Empire, the Gorn's future has never been brighter. The End There you go. I liked many aspects of how it ended, but at the end I think of it more like a montage kind of thing that actually covered a longer period of time than it seemed. Because they seem to reconcile awfully fast at the end and assimilate the Gorns. I mean, there's even some Batleth matches between a Gorn warrior and a Klingon warrior. And just, oh gosh, everybody's everybody's got a big group hug. But other than that, I really like the ending. Right. I'm definitely with you that it's a montage because we do see scenes with Picard and Riker in their dress uniforms. and And then a few pages later... We see, you know, Riker dressed down and, and refereeing the Batleth match. So obviously, these are different days, different different times. Mm-hmm. So, right, definitely, uh, kind of a pat ending, though. Yes. Oh, that's the word. I had the same. I, I use the same word in my uh, my notes. <laughs> Very pat. A little too pat, but still, it was good. Right. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Um, the writers that write this, uh, Kevin J. Anderson and Rebecca Oesta, mm-hmm. uh, they've written quite a few Star Wars novels mm-hmm. that I've really enjoyed. So when it ended, when the uh, the space battle ended with Riker cooling them off mm-hmm. and Data beating the one in one-on-one combat, mm-hmm. I was really getting the Star Wars vibe. That's how Star Wars stories end. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, just a big climatic fight, and then it's over, right? Sure. So well, I was, yeah. that's that's the way I was going, and then Picard, you know, that that sin- suddenly at the end of all that, Picard then, no, we all need to be united, and he goes into that speech, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's the way Star Trek ends. <laughs> you, know, you have the big battle, the the people are defeated, but then you. Get them all together so that you're not going to be enemies anymore. And and I liked it. That I, I I definitely think that's the core of Star Trek. That yeah, uh, you know that optimistic ending. You know, you, yeah. Even someone who's been the big bad, exactly, is really just a friend that you haven't uh, converted over yet. Right. So I really I really dug the end. Yeah. Good. Yeah, and that that's definitely a theme that has gone over the many years of Star Trek. And and the people running the shows and movies come back to that, which is cool. Right. 
but you you see what I'm saying about I mean being completely different than Star Trek. I mean Star Wars though. I mean Star Trek Star Wars doesn't have that happy ending with everybody's you know your your enemies used to be. I mean nobody had dinner with Jabba the Hutt when <laughs> you know, they killed him. Well, yeah, but they have happy endings as we saw in episode 6. Yeah, because they killed everybody. Joey Yagnog. <laughs> but they had to kill everybody to do that. Well, uh, yeah, well, their enemy, yeah, sure. Sure, but these <laughs> are their enemy. Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but I'm just saying. <laughs> it's a different kind of happy ending. Yeah. Yeah, now, now if they would have embraced the remaining TIE fighter flyers and stuff, right. you know, then it would have been more Star Trekian. But no, but no. Nope, they just cut their heads off and then let the Ewoks use them as drums. Oh my gosh, did they do that? I didn't notice that. Well, oh, hel- another detail. It's their it's their helmets, but uh, but I don't know. I think some of those might still have heads in them. Oh, <laughs> it gives it just a rounder sound. Right. <laughs> hmm. Uh, anyways, I like data solution to the problem. Yep. No, that was good. Yep. So he 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 spotted the Gorn's pride. And need to never appear weak, so that's cool. And of course, you know, Data. Data is a next-gen ace in the hole, isn't he? <laughs> right. There's so many times when it's handy to have a Data around. Did the Gorns think he was human? I think they did. I don't think they did. At first okay. I was thinking they did, and then Data says, right. I'm I am a product, a product of right. humans. So then human I was ingenuity. Like, yeah, and then I was like, oh, okay, no, he's, he's admitting that he's not human. But up until then, I thought that he was passing himself off as human. Right. That he looks human. I mean, unless you were doing a scan of him or something, you really wouldn't know. Right. I mean, especially, come on, all those Gorns look the same, right? So I really don't think that they have a big ability to distinguish between humans. Right. Or is that specious? You that's think spe- they all look the it's, same? It's, come on. Exactly. It's specious, I know, but still. <laughs> no, I, I'm with you. I, I thought the same thing. But I love the fight. I mean, it was Data was being very passive, just kind of just move an inch out of this way yeah. to avoid that, and one yeah. strike to the throat, and that was pretty much right. it. He was very Kwai Chan Kane about the whole thing. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> Riker's solution to the the ship, though, I thought, I thought that was you know uh, that part was interesting. But again, why did the Gorn not just destroy the ship? Oh, I mean, once all your enemies throw themselves into a barrel, you just right. blow up the barrel. You don't go in there and right. try to kill them off one by one. Right. But is that their ego again? It's like, we will take them, and we will take the ship. Yeah, I don't know. And we will board the ship, even though we don't have transporters, because we're so weak. Yeah, why did they not have transporters? It's just a piece of technology they never developed. I guess they spent too much time developing those shield-cutting weapons they had, they used on the Enterprise-E. Right. Right. Again, I thought it was a little their their ships are really powerful yet they don't have transporters. Right. Well, a piece of technology they never developed. Although, man, transporters are handy. Yeah, they are. Yeah. I keep wanting to bring up the the story where the Gorn that actually was defeated by Kirk went crazy and they dropped him off on that planet and things like that and that Marvel issue. Mm-hmm. Remember that one? I was going to say, well, they had transporters then, but that was a different continuity. It was. So it doesn't count. Yeah. But really, 
what would matter is not comic books at all. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I love the comic books, but if they actually had them in a TV show or a movie, right? Again, agreed. Uh, and then they said, "Oh, we don't have transporters." Oh, hmm. So sad for you. We do. <laughs> well, definitely and... in the rebooted verse, they they definitely have them. Yeah, in the video game and in the those uh, issues where they well. Pe- yeah, in the in the reboot, J.J. Abrams verse, at least in the comics, they really kick butt. Right. And we had no chance. I mean, Kirk was a was useless, and his team when they tried to go up against the Gorn. Right. You need Little to play the game. Know. You need to play the game. Okay. Well, because I, be- I began it, but I didn't get to the end. <laughs> so obviously, Kirk and Spock fared better against them. Uh, in the game, in the game, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in that comic, I, I, I kind of, I mean, I, I hate how all of a sudden we can we can fight Nausicans, and it's like, <laughs> okay, but it's like it's also like, but Lord, in that com in those comics, uh, IDW comics, I mean, we were pretty useless up against them. They were faster, yeah. they were stronger. You know, we couldn't do anything. Anyway. They can be invisible. Cloaking. Oh. Uh, wasn't that uh, in there? I think so. Yeah. So give him another bonus, you know. Jeez. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so what do you think about the cooling them off? Do you think you could have chilled them out that fast? Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, if they're truly cold-blooded lizards, then yeah, I guess you could. Right. So one of the things I didn't mention in the synopsis was that... Um, when they board, they have environmental suits on, and they may, they in dialogue they actually say, "Well, it's it's warm enough in here that we could take this off." Right. You know, and that's bef- that was not in earshot of Riker. So yeah. Separately, then that Riker came up with the idea that they must be cold blooded, and we can cool them off. Right. But again, it was the other fighters complaining about how hot it was in the Klingon ship that triggered the idea but he's kind of taking a chance doesn't he i mean how does he know for sure they're cold-blooded well i mean they I'm look sure like lizards them. i mean well they haven't seen one in a hundred years well and really been, only kirk saw them i thought they'd been in contact with them while they were in orbit they just haven't finalized the details of this peace treaty yet but i, I had the impression well, that they'd yeah. actually spoken to him at some point yeah you're probably right about that but Still, I mean, speaking to somebody and doing a scan of your internals to know you're cold-blooded or not. <laughs> a little different, but... No, I'm yeah. with you. I thought it was a very clever idea, a good solution. Right. And I guess if you have artificial gravity, you've probably mastered air conditioning as well. And you <laughs> could cool them off that fast. Oh, what do you mean, the Klingons? Yeah, well... Well, yeah. Right, because, I mean, they just start pumping in, I guess... I mean, they thought it was poison gas at first, but it was just super cold air coming through the vents. That Klingon life support system, pretty good. Yep. Anyways, so overall, really enjoyed the book. You? Yes, I, I had one more thing to comment. Uh, in At the beginning of the second half, when Data's trying to talk to Admiral Connolly, I mm-hmm. really like how the idea that, sorry, you know, Dominion War not going well, you're on your own. So let me know how you do. <laughs> Bye. 
and then like data that. being data being totally on his own. I mean, not even to have Picard to know he has Picard. Luckily, he has Jordy. So right. there is a little chit chat with Jordy, trying to say, uh, you know, what am I going to do? Right. What I liked most about that interaction with the admiral was the admiral. You know, we didn't have any of this. You're not a real person type thoughts or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He's just like, nope, you're you're the commander. You you need to deal with it, which hopefully by this time people have gotten over that prejudice. But uh, right. But I mean, even in insurrection, that was a big plot point, you know, that the admiral there kind of acted like he was just a machine and could reprogram him and things like that. So, right. It's not like it was, you know, it's not like they haven't used that plot point over and over again. So. Yeah. But not have. here. This guy's just like, no. I have faith in you. You're going to have to deal with it. We're, we got our own problems. Right. I liked it. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, when you think about it, Data can think faster than any human. And he could be plugged into the ship. So he could react faster than any human commander. So, yes, there's that leap of intuition thing that a machine might not have. But in so many ways... Data's a good commander. I mean, uh, yeah, go for it. Right. But it's that leaps of intuition, which is the interesting part. Um, He does pretty good, though. Well, he did in this story. Picard picked up on it right away, but it was was Data's idea. Right. About what he did. Yeah. Um, Messing with his ego and getting him to do the one-on-one fight. Right. Agreed. So, good idea, Captain Data. Yep. Too bad he dies here pretty soon. <laughs> Next movie. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Anything else? No. Good graphic novel. Loved it. Yeah, really good. I- I've been wanting to read this one for a while, so yeah. I'm glad, glad we finally got around to it. Good. So that being said, we're getting pretty close to our Wildstorm run. We only have one more graphic novel called uh, Forgiveness. Okay. But before we get to that, we're going to do the big Deep Space Nine Next Generation crossover called Divided We Fall. Cool. And how many parts is that? It's a four-parter, so we're going to go ahead and break it up into two episodes. So we're only going to do two issues for the next two episodes. Okay. And they're normal-sized? I think they're normal-sized, yeah. So it'll be a little shorter of an episode. Cool. But there was no easy way to uh, split it. Right. Okay. Well, good that we've got the next gen and DS9 folks together. That's good. I like crossovers. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, it's either right after the Dominion War or kind of during it. This uh I've never actually read it, but I've kind of thumbed through it. If I remember right, that's kind of where it's set timeline-wise. Well, it's During the Dominion War is an exciting time out at DS9 way. Yep. So, should be interesting stuff going on. And if it's post the Dominion War, well, there could be some interesting things there, too. Yeah, if it's post the Dominion War, then that means Cisco's gone, Bajor's being part of the Federation. I mean, that's, okay. that's so some fertile, probably fertile is not, ground right there. It's fertile ground, but they're, if they're going to have a crossover, they're probably going to have Cisco in it. Cisco there, I would think so. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, I haven't read it, so I can't, I can't right. tell you. So it'll okay. be a surprise for next week. Perfect. Okay. Okay, well, then... Um, Hopefully everybody enjoyed this story as much as we did. Really enjoyed it. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. And we'll see you next week on The Review. 
Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.